In the words of St. Patrick, I cannot be silent, nor would it be helpful, about all the gifts and graces that the Lord in His mercy bestowed on my life in the land of my slavery. Indeed, this is how we ought to behave. After being punished by God, we must praise Him and tell of His marvels to every nation under the heaven. This is an excerpt from the Confession of St. Patrick. And St. Patrick was a man possessing a very well-developed grasp of both grace and gratitude. Patrick understood that in life we really have a claim to nothing. Anything above total misery is a gift and grace of God. So, welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. I'm Anthony Agria. I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. And today, we're going to be talking about Article 7 in the Church of the Nazarene. Now, this particular article discusses the topic of provenient grace. And now that's a bit of a strange language that one might hear, and a lot of times people hear the word provenient and they're not exactly sure where that is going. But in this episode, we are going to discuss just this topic about provenient grace. And again, we're not going to answer all the questions that one might have, but this is what you need to have in mind. This is an article describing the very notion that there is a fallen state of humanity. We have an inherited state to be living in sin. And God's grace actively anticipates the need for transformation out of sin. So when you think provenient grace, think just that. God's grace, it is actively anticipating the need for transformation out of sin. Well, without any further hesitation, let's go right into Article 7, and we'll see what we can learn. Pastor Amanda, would you read Article 7 for us? Sure. Um, and this is as follows. It says that we believe that the grace of God through Jesus Christ is freely bestowed upon all people, enabling all who will to turn from sin to righteousness, believe on Jesus Christ for pardon and cleansing from sin, and follow good works pleasing and acceptable in his sight. We also believe that the human race's creation in God-likeness included the ability to choose between right and wrong, and that thus human beings were made morally responsible that through the fall of Adam they became depraved so that they cannot so that they cannot now turn and prepare themselves by their own natural strength and works to faith and calling upon God. All right, so that is article 7 in the Church of the Nazarene. And it is on the topic of provenient grace. Unfortunately, this is one of the articles that it's really unclear. If you're not familiar with the concept of provenient grace, I'm not sure it's going to answer all of your questions if you open up a manual and you see it there. Now, that being said, it is a place that we need to have a conversation because this is a really good topic. It's a really good idea, and it's something wonderful to have in your tool belt as you're articulating theology and you're pushing back on some things like TULIP from the Calvinists who come along to say that there is total depravity and unconditional election of all those things. Before we go much further, I know I gave a definition of a provenient grace earlier, and I know I read from St. Patrick. We'll come back to Patrick again. Pastor Amanda, could you help us out by just reiterating what exactly this topic is? So, provenient grace, a very classical uh, definition, is the grace that goes before. And that's um, for some people, okay, they'd be like, okay, we can kind of figure that out because of the word provenient, pre, means before. But really, it's the idea that uh, grace, this specific concept of grace, is the grace that goes before us and is calling us back to God. And we kind of see this in the article of faith where it talks about that in uh, God creating us and the image of God that we were created to be, we have the ability to choose right from wrong. Uh, but also we cannot choose righteousness and save ourselves. 
that we need something that empowers us to make that choice. It does not infringe on free will. We still have free will, but that this grace enables us to choose rightfully. And it is, it precedes, it is prevenient to the work of salvation. All right, Pastor Mike, we read this. A lot of people will come and they'll say, well, if the natural state of humanity is to be in sin, how are we not in the same boat as the Calvinist when it comes to the issue of total depravity? Pastor Mike, give us some resolution in this. Are we not in the same boat when it comes to total depravity? Well, we are in the same boat when it comes to total depravity. However, the beautiful thing about prevenient grace is it allows us to be transformed, that we're we are sinners and we are in need of uh, God's grace and but we we don't stay in that state of fallenness but the transformation regeneration takes place where we are a new creature and with that being said there is a call to holiness and to live a life where you do not live in sin but you live in the grace of God and God's uh, power is strong enough to save us for one moment, for two moments, for three moments, or even for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And so uh, God's grace has preceded. It has gone before us. And God has has not only uh, given us this beautiful uh, gift of grace, but it's, it's in salvation. It's in uh, regeneration, justification, um, sanctification. It is that life of fellowship with other believers. And so, um, you know, it's extremely important that it is not unconditional election, but it is conditional. We do know right from wrong, and it is requires a response. It's We are not saved by our own works, as Pastor Amanda said. However, God's grace is given, and it can be resisted. All right, so while there is an element to depravity that we in the Church of the Nazarene, we are willing to to confess, like quite clearly, without something active in your life, without an agent of transformation, people kind of are left into this state of total depravity where they just want to curse God and die. I've been saying that for a long time. I think the natural trajectory, now that sin has entered into the equation, is that we just want to curse God and die. Maybe sometimes we want to curse God by saying, well, I'm going to mistake you for the one who did all the wrongs in my life. Maybe you're just going to be like Job and mope around. Maybe you're going to be like Adam and Eve in the garden and say, ah, we don't like that rule. We'll eat whatever we want. And if the consequences are death, so be it. Anthony, what are your, your thoughts? I know you've got some some gears moving over there. I was just going to say <clears throat> that most of the time, uh, the language that we use to communicate a similar sentiment to total depravity is just original sin. And that's that language has been around since the time of St. Augustine. And... Um, in the way that it is different is that there is clear redemption from original sin, whereas uh, I don't believe there is technically redemption from total depravity. Is there? Well, I will say there's total depravity. It suggests a motive that that is active in people's life to do a lot of depraved things, and that it's an immovable motive. It's something which is an immutable quality. Before we go too far away from one of the earlier thoughts we had, though. I want to throw this over to Pastor Amanda. So what is it that distinguishes us in a way that says we recognize there is depravity, but provenient grace has some role in pulling people away from being locked into this? Give us some some pointers that can help us 
set some boundaries and say, this is why we are different. This is why we need this article. Amanda, help us out there. Well, and I think this comes from also our understanding. And I know we've talked about total depravity and we say things like total depravity a lot, but I think a, a probably a, a more precise articulation is as Wesleyan Arminians, we believe in depravity versus someone who's maybe more Calvinist or, or uh, under the tulip theology would say total depravity. And that's because there is this idea that, that um, as I think Anthony was kind of alluding to, that total depravity is that, that brokenness that almost can't be fixed. Yeah. And that the righteousness that Jesus imparts in his atonement is merely an appearance of righteousness versus an actual righteousness or justification. Um, and for us, when we Which say- Which is pretty terrible. Yes, and it is. It's <laughs> awful. Like It's like God plays a trick on God's self uh, for us to then be saved. And, and that we, we don't- um, we do not articulate that. We do not confess that as Nazarenes, as Wesleyan Arminians. Um, and we say that, that there is a um, remedy to salvation that is a full and complete remedy to salvation. But even before that, we have provenient grace. And the reason I say that is because provenient grace exists in the very nature of how God created the world. And this provenient grace is this grace that calls us to be participants in the life of God. And so that this grace calls us before we reach the age of accountability, before we even know what sin is, um, and really even before Adam and Eve sin, yeah. uh, before even depravity entered the world, there is this grace that calls us um, to transformation to uh, further up and further in, as C.S. Lewis would talk about. Here in a, in a little while, we're going to go back and read more from St. Patrick's Confession. But Pastor Amanda just mentioned that this grace, it's active in people's life before they're of an accountable age. One of the things which is interesting about St. Patrick is he says, I'm a sinner. And I deserve slavery even as a, a youth because I was sinning even as a youth. Even before, in the modern terms, we would oftentimes say, well, they're not really of the age of accountability. We'll deal with them differently, even Worldly justice systems have different standards for people when they're younger. We had this idea that you want to, to give people a little bit softer treatment, but when it comes to the human condition, we realize that there has to be some agent of God because the worldly institutions aren't capable of, of mitigating the suffering of that's created by sin. Um, even before the age of accountability, even if someone sins in such a way that they may not understand what they're doing, the ramifications of that can still be massive. Take, for instance, if, if someone commits a, a vicious crime of murder or something at a young age, you, the consequences are still there. It takes a grace of God beyond the human condition to be able to deal with that. But Pastor Mike, your thoughts? Oh, absolutely. The And I, I wanted to, I said earlier, you know, that, that it requires a response. But the beautiful thing about prevenient grace is it covers those who cannot make a response, whether they be a, an infant or a child or someone who hasn't got to the age to understand the difference in right and wrong, or the mentally challenged who are, yeah. are uh, you know, not uh, capable of uh, making a good, you know, choice there. But the beautiful thing of this prevenient grace, it just continues to work. And so it's good news. And, and when you go back to uh, limited atonement, we don't believe that. We believe that the work of Christ on the cross is for all. Yeah. And so... That, that covers those who can't make a decision. And this is good news. And let me step in here and ask a question. I'm going to throw this to both Pastor Man and Pastor Mike. So this is prevenient grace. Obviously, it implies that it's preventing something. There's got to be an object of prevention. And again, this is another place where we can come in and actually bring people some clarity. 
And I realize that y'all may have a little bit different answer for this. Not necessarily that those answers are in different conflict or anything of that nature, but they're, they're just different perspectives that kind of complement one another. Pastor Amanda, what in the world is prevenient grace? What is it preventing us from? What's, what's the other half of that equation? Well, and, and to be honest, um, I, I've not heard a lot of the, the, the stress or the focus on prevenient grace on the preventative side. It's really just been the prevenient in the sense of the going before versus preventing. Um, and I think sometimes the reason maybe I haven't heard much about the preventative side is because we do believe that everyone has sinned. And when we talk about grace, we think of it just strictly in context of sin. And so we get kind of weirded out in the idea. And so I don't think, but so when we say preventing grace, um, it's not necessarily the grace that keeps us from sinning in the sense of before, uh, before salvation. Um, but it is the grace that, sorry, I'm having trouble articulating this well, but it is the grace that calls us to God in that sense can prevent us from staying in sin. Yeah. Um, and the difference again, because God never forces God's self on us, that there is no grace that keeps us from doing anything, but it is the grace that calls us that we do not have to stay in sin. And we not only do we have to not stay in um, individual sin in the sense of the choices that we make, but we do not have to even stay in the state of sin. So when we talked about last week about the difference between um, uh, actual sin and the sinful nature, this is this is that God's prevenient grace is working on all those levels. Yeah. And, and, and really not even both levels, but all the levels. Like whatever there is, um, the song that grace, grace, greater than sin. Like well, however we want to define sin, however yeah. we want to talk about the brokenness and the darkness and the chaos of the world, God's grace, there is nowhere that sin can go that grace has not already been. I have a thought that I'm going to come back to after Pastor Mike answers and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to let y'all think about it, and then we'll we'll address it later. Is the reason why in the Church of the Nazarene we don't spend so much time talking about the sin side of preventing sin is because when we have a doctrine of entire sanctification, a lot of people, they don't treat entire sanctification as perhaps they should, and they kind of pretend like sin cannot still be a problem, and therefore provenient grace loses its its proper position in in the grand scheme of things, if if we kind of ignore sin, this is why we don't really talk about confession much in the sense of confessing your sins, because sometimes people kind of pretend like sin isn't even a thing, even though our theology allots for backsliding. Anyways, Pastor Mike, what is the prevention in prevenient grace? What is going on there with that? Well, first of all, we are called to be uh, the image of God. We were created to be that. And so when the creation fell and humanity fell from that uh, fallen uh, and, and was in that fallen state, we inherit that. But we are created with purpose and design in mind, and that is to reflect God's love, God's uh, care for all of creation in this world. And so we are saved for a purpose. And so this grace proceeds even before we were even born. This grace that God calls us to uh, a special purpose. And so um, obviously, when we're living in sin, that is not the reflection of the image of God that this that God created us for in this world. So, um, it prevents us from living in that sinful world. And so, uh, I keep kind of reiterating this, but holiness is relational, and sanctification is really uh, the work of God in us 
so that God can work through us and it is being made holy. And so that, that um, purpose of being holy and being that image of God, it, it comes to a place where grace, it, sin is not necessarily eradicated. It continues to come into our life. But we have the strength and power in Christ Jesus to live a holy life. And so we must always be on guard. I think you kind of alluded to it when you said, you know, with the, with the cardinal doctrine in the Church of the Nazarene of entire sanctification and being made holy, with that being relational, that we don't really, you know, it's not like sin is gone. No, sin is very much trying to get in and, and it is relational too. It's broken relationship. Yeah. And so there, there is that anything that wants to, you know, not let, worship God, curse me, God and die, uh, that scene. Let me come in right there because you're talking about how when someone is entirely sanctified and their their relationship with God has changed and their relationship with sin has changed, even as one becomes holier and they become more and more Christ-like, that doesn't mean that sin doesn't want in you. That doesn't change the fact that sin is right. not... It still is going to crouch at the door and try to, to come in and get you. I think one of the beautiful things we find in Scripture, the story of Cain and Abel, sin is like an evil and the things which are kind of nefarious absentee things of the void they're like predatory animals crouching at the threshold they want to come in and consume you and that's that's an interesting thing to to think about but let's go back to this other idea is one of the reasons and i'll throw this to to amanda and then over to to pastor mike is one of the reasons why we do have an issue talking about the reality of sin the fact that a lot of times people treat entire sanctification was something that even the theology was not intended to. They've kind of stretched it and malformed it a little bit to their own will, and they've forgotten the the true reality of sin. Still, well, um, hmm, I'm trying to trying to think all the or unpack everything you said, but I think there is this continual. Well, I mean, this is the heart of sin, right? It, it, is to trust self for preservation, that somehow to believe that I can produce life, um, that I can sustain life. And this this is idolatry, this this is sin. And, and I think this happens even in the church sometimes where especially when we have these distinct uh, or cardinal doctrines that we really uh, find a lot of our identity in. We, we find in the fact that as Nazarenes, we are Christian, we are holiness, we are missional. Um, that these are the things that identify us. And, and it can be easy then to find our identity in doctrine versus in the nature of God. And this does not mean we throw doctrine out. Um, it does not mean we ignore doctrine, but we have to find doctrine in its rightful place. Right. And I think this is where we have to be careful, even with things like prevenient grace or atonement. Um, even our articles of faith on the triune God, sometimes we can become so concerned with those things and those articulation of those beliefs that we miss it out. And I think, yeah. again, this is where we have to have a better theology of prevenient grace. Because if prevenient grace is truly the grace that goes before it, is truly the grace that prevents, then it is the grace that calls us back to God even when we are saved and sanctified. It's the grace that even yeah. calls us back when we're glorified in heaven. That there is always 
more we can learn and more love we can experience with God. And so if provenient grace is truly as big and wonderful as it is, as I believe it is, then that means that that's going to impact whether you are the worst sinner or the best saint. And, and that's what we've got to keep coming back to that. Because otherwise we're going to find ourselves, regardless of if we're inside or outside the church, we're going to find us in a very, very bad place. It sounds to me, Pastor Man, that you're saying that preve- prevenient grace is this idea that there is a continual aspiration in the kingdom. There's always yeah. something to aspire for, and God is always anticipating this need for aspiration. He's always giving you something to hope for, something to to look up to. Uh, Pastor Mike, what are your thoughts on on everything we've said so far? Well, absolutely, in the growth process of being made holy, as we could might say, entire sanctification. Um, you know, when God saves people, that um, whether it be an epiphany experience or just you know asking God to come into your heart, there's a new creation, a new creature there, a new creation that you really come into, um, and that is the church, the whole body there, the uh, uh, the body of Christ, the body of believers. The thing um, of you know, or I guess the slippery slope is to understand that it is a process. Uh, for some, the transformation is, ex- you know, extreme and, um, you know, extremely cleaned up in a life and everything. But for others, it's a it's a slower process, maybe. Uh, but nonetheless, it is that continual growth and movement throughout this lifetime. And, uh, you know, the apathy is a sin in the yeah. church. And to get, let's say, saved, sanctified, and petrified is truly a very slippery slope, that we are always called to grow and know Christ and to share Christ. All right. I know, Anthony, you you had a thought. Um, I wanted to say in response to what you said concerning uh, our problems with prevenient or prevention grace and then uh, how that could be related to sanctification, I feel like another issue that might be stopping us up in regards to the prevention the prevention side of prevenient grace is attempting to reconcile it with free will which i'm not saying it's not reconcilable but um there's a lot of things for instance like sanctification and forgiveness a lot of people have trouble reconciling those as like two parts of salvation and maybe um in a simple nature a single part together or like how salvation could be considered instantaneous, but also a process altogether. Um, Those are all things that are kind of hard to take time to reconcile, but I do believe that we can. I think similarly, uh, accounting for the prevention side of prevenient grace can be hard to reconcile with um, free will. What do you think about that? I'll let some of the others ascend respond. Pastor Amanda? Yeah, and I think that's why we have difficulty sometimes, and that's why I think we focus more on the prevenient versus the preventative um, is because we we do I I think we're (laughs) I don't understand this to be honest I think we're scared as Christians to um, to do anything that kind of theologically that's going to put us in a hole or put us in a corner, and so we, we try to almost Get, keep ourselves out of the corner in a sense then we, we almost make a, a worse one for ourselves theologically and so we try to make these really well pointed articles of faith and, and, and sometimes they work really well and sometimes uh, they're so thick and muddled with theological word we're just not quite sure where we're going with it 
Um, and this is the continual conversation that has to happen in theology. But yeah, I think, so that's why we say, okay, preventative grace sounds like it's keeping us from sinning. And so that's an issue with free will. And so let's just not talk about it or yeah. let's call it something different. And instead of saying, no, you have free will. You always have free will. If you're a good Wesleyan Arminian, you believe in free will. That's like, it's like one of the presuppositions of our whole worldview is <laughs> that free will. Yeah. Uh, God is almighty. God created humanity. Humanity has free will. That's just kind of like the, some of the basics. Yeah. Um, and so everything else kind of comes out of those ideas. And for us to then, and then we get scared. And I think it's because, again, we have fallen into this trap of trying to trust our theology or our doctrine or our dogma versus actually trusting. And we, we think we have to defend God and we have to defend our faith. And, and we have to be articulated and articulate. And that's the point of this series is to help us understand and know and talk about our faith. But at no point do we have to somehow defend it. Like God is God. He's a big boy. He can take care well, of himself. Let's let's actually get to something which I think will help us understand this. And I want to read a bit from St. Patrick's Confession. It's a beautiful work. It's a, a fantastic piece. And for those who don't know much about St. Patrick, he was actually uh, stolen as a, a young child and taken away to slavery, which is where he, he grew up. I want to, to begin by reading a little bit of this because it helps us understand gratitude and grace. I, Patrick, am a sinner the most uncultured and smallest among all the faithful. Indeed, many people consider me to be worthless. It was when I was almost 16 years old when I was captured and brought into Ireland and slavery. All of us deserved this slavery because we had turned away from God and did not keep his commandments. We had not been obedient to our priests who were encouraging us to do the things necessary for salvation. God brought his anger down upon us and scattered us among many nations, indeed, even to the ends of the earth. And it is here that I now find myself, small as I am, amongst strangers. And here the Lord revealed to me my sense of unbelief so that I could repent of my sins and turn with my whole heart to the Lord my God. And God looked at my misery and God had mercy upon my youth and ignorance. He watched over me before I knew him and before I could tell right from wrong. He had compassion for me just as the father has for his son. I cannot be silent, nor would it be helpful, about all the gifts and graces that the Lord in his mercy bestowed on my life in the land of my slavery. Indeed, this is how we ought to behave. After being punished by God, we must praise him and tell of his marvels to every nation under the heavens. So in this, we find St. Patrick quite clearly saying, one has in entitlement to nothing. Even as a youth, the only thing you deserve is utter misery. And anything above that is the grace of God. Furthermore, God gives us things to aspire for, and we should take that aspiration which God gives us and deliver it to the nations around us. And Patrick does something quite radical in going back to the place where he's enslaved, and as throughout pretty much all human history, when people are slaves in return, it's pretty much a death sentence. But he goes back in the face of this to minister to people. Patrick realizes that he should be grateful even in slavery for the fact that God could be revealing and working in his life, even in a very extreme state of suffering, Patrick finds gratitude and grace even in that. So that's a fascinating read. I think it's really applicable to our conversation. And I know for time purposes, we've got to close this out. And I wanted to hand things over to Pastor Mike to share a story about a, well, we'll say an ungrateful college student, perhaps. Well, uh in a university class that I was taking one time, it happened right at the last Friday before spring break. And oh, there was probably two thirds, maybe 
three quarters of the class decided to skip that class, I guess, and and uh, take an early spring break. And so those of us who were there, just a, a handful, maybe five or six, and it was on our syllabus that we had to be there. So it wasn't, uh, any, we were, did not deserve any special treatment or anything, but the professor, out of grace, decided to give everyone an extra point on their final uh, grade. And I'll never forget it, one, one young lady said, one point, is that it? I'd, I'd rather have um, went on on my spring break. And he said, this is a good point of grace is given, unmerited. You, you don't deserve a point. It's on your syllabus. And yet I'm offering it to you and you are resisting it. And uh, it is, grace could, can be rejected. And there is a sense of entitlement or deserving. We don't, God is creator. He created us. Um, the breath of life, the sun that shines, all of the beautiful outdoor uh, enjoyment we have of all creation, that is God's grace given to us. And so let us appreciate the good things that God has given us. And I realize we probably should have led with that story because, again, it is an <laughs> utter example of ungratitude as compared to Patrick, who in the midst of slavery did have gratitude even for the most unfortunate of circumstances. Um, what a contrast there. Anyways, we're going to go ahead and wrap up our program. Um, Pastor Amanda, any final thoughts before we close? Uh, I think just to kind of condense what we've talked about, when we talk about prevenient grace, we, we start with who God is. And, and we just very clearly see in, in a lot of the stories that have been told, God is a God of grace and compassion and love. And that even before we reject God, and even after we do reject God, uh, God is continually um, working, is actively anticipating and is actively transforming and calling us to that transformation. Amen. Amen. And with a shameless plug for one of the videos that we just put up. We just put up a two minutes in church history video on St. Patrick. Um, it's actually about two and a half, close to three minutes. But if you want to learn more about who he was and check out his life, yeah, it's a pretty good short overview and it examines all that. Well, the same. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to help us out, you can donate at patreon.com slash kingdom of the logos. If you would like to share our content with your friends and family and your loved ones, we would really appreciate that. That would help us out tremendously. We're on Facebook. We're on YouTube. We really need to boost that YouTube audience. We're on uh, a lot of different podcasting outlets, iTunes, CastBox, a couple of others. And with that, God love you and have a blessed day.